Siri, do you love me? I'm not allowed to. Consumption log zero, zero, eight. Hey everybody, welcome to the Actual Garbage Podcast, Consumption Log Boo Boo Bop. I'm your host, David Paddock. To my left, we have Ryan Riley. Her. Shut up. <laughs> to his left, we have Nicole Paddock. Hello. To her left, we have Manny Mahaffey. Hello, hello. Ladies and gents, we are here to discuss her. Spike Jones classic of sorts. Nicole, you picked her. Why did you pick her? And what are we going to talk about today? Well, her is a it's a kind of futuristic movie, like a, a, a white dis- utopian future movie in which people have trouble with relationships. <laughs> Just to put it lightly. But no, no. Anyways, so this movie <laughs> stars Joaquin Phoenix, and he develops a relationship with his... OS, OS which is in system. which is a an AI of sorts. Um, this movie's a little weird. It's a little slow, and everyone wears high waisted pants. <laughs> the same pair of high waisted pants. <laughs> like you said, it's a utopia. Yeah, it's a weird. It's a weird white utopia, and nobody seems to understand anything about their computer, either. But um, I do like that it tackled AI, and I think that though this movie. Did it one way. I think there's a lot of other cool ways that this movie, you know, not that this movie, but that you could tackle the AI uh, issue or that, you know, how AI would work if you formed a relationship with it. And um, that was really what kind of excited me about watching it. It wasn't so much the movie itself, but just kind of all the different ways you could have taken an AI relationship. I would agree that this (laughs) is a topic... They could have been taken in a lot of directions. Yes, yes. And um, to euphemize quite heavily. Yeah, so just just to sum it up briefly, we've got Theodore Trombley. Twombly. Twombly. His name's even more ridiculous than that. <laughs> yes. Who is uh, a mustachioed, high waist pants individual who works at beautifulhandwrittenletters.com. Yes. Um, so what this this gentleman does for a living is he crafts handwritten letters between two individuals in a relationship, and he is for, for money. For money, yeah. and he is very very good at his job. But what he is not good at is forming those same sort of relationships in his own life. Mm-hmm. He is coming off a failed marriage, in which, uh, you know, he feels like he became distant. Um, you know, he's very upset about this because he liked being married, even though it didn't work out. Uh, and and over the course of the first, you know, few, I don't know what to say, like probably 15 minutes of the film, he purchases an OS. And this OS is an AI of Scarlett Johansson. And what proceeds from there is basically a a movie about trying to date Scarlett Johansson and how she will just grow <laughs> apart from you because you are boring and uninteresting oh, yes. moving forward. We, but, are, we are all about to be dumped by Scarlett yes, Johansson. Yes, yes. So, um, I don't know I don't know if we want to jump on how, how relationships fall apart yet, but, no, but basically the rest of the movie kind of shows how a relationship grows and then people in a relationship grow apart. And in this movie, it takes a very long time because the AI, I think, would have grown apart from him pretty quickly. But that's that's neither here nor there. 
Yeah, no, the, the AI <laughs> component of this movie... Uh, it's bizarre, for, to say the least. Yeah, no, it somehow manages... Uh, the, the main character, Theodore, somehow living in the distant future of what, based on the technology I saw in the movie, seems like uh, 2011. Yeah. Uh, there is... There is little to suggest that he has any idea what a computer is, I, just given the way that he talks about it. The, the things that surprise him, like viscerally surprise him, include things like, for example, knowing that a meeting is happening in five minutes, which is something your phone has done since it became a PDA in 2007. I, love, I also love the futility of the scene where he's trying to read the applied physics books, and he's like, oh, man, this is really dense, Samantha. Like, as if he does not understand that his computer AI can process all this information in seconds, and he doesn't see, like, the futility <laughs> of, of him trying to even understand physics on even a basic level. Also, the fact that he was trying in the first place. Yeah, that's what I mean. The whole futility of the exercise. It's a bit of a try-hard scenario <laughs> going on there. But uh, but then on top of that, he makes computers seem magical for doing completely mundane things and then more or less blows them off for being capable of fallible human logic and speech, which ScarJo is, at the beginning of the movie, at the outset, the way that he initially, after his initial calibration, where yes. it's determined whether he is social or antisocial, and they throw in the And the whether Freudian, he gets along with his mother. They yeah. throw in the Tell, Freudian your relationship with your mother, yes. Yeah. Which they abruptly cut off after about ten seconds. But the, um... And then she immediately starts talking like a human in a way that no AI, unless it is deliberately programmed to be fallible would talk and this does not throw him at all no it doesn't and she continues okay that was my biggest issue with the ai was basically yeah like the approach of how she was learning throughout this movie she was learning in spitefulness a <laughs> i mean she but the thing is it, it'd be fun if it if it went into spitefulness because i know that at least half of the people in the room watching it and this is actually i think common amongst a lot of people when they watch it for the first time they're expecting the story where your AI becomes a spiteful bitch and ruins your life. I mean, she, in essence, would have access to all your information, all your bank accounts. Um, so if she decided she didn't like you, she could make your life really miserable. And that would have been one fun way that this could have spiraled off, but it did not. <laughs> well, that's, let's be frank. There is a consistent anti- and artificial intelligent bias in movies up to this point. I mean, I'll be honest with you here. You know, like, there is not one AI in a movie that I have not seen that is at least the bad guy or a slave. So, yeah. you know, I think that, you know, our expectation of what we see with AI, and especially as it's been acculturated into us by movies, is that we want it. It's either, like I said, it's either Skynet or it's that dinky well, Hal, British Hal, guy from... Uh, Hal outgrew his humans. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, so it's either Skynet or Hal, or it's the dinky British polite thing that helps uh, Iron Man do his actual work. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so, you know... Like, sass? Yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah, so, you know, like... No, when but, I, when that's I the thing, they are the slaves. They're the, they're the mammy character from um, from Gone with the Wind, you know? Like, they, they give it as good as they get, but they're still subservient to the humans, right? I mean, Well, in programming, I would hope that they would be subservient to the humans at some point, so we don't have a how-like situation. That's, um, right. But that, that's my just... I mean, that's the whole problem with <laughs> those two sides of the spectrum, though. They are either slave or master. I mean, 
they're not going to stop at human. That's the whole thing about an AI is well, that it is programmed to be above or below us. Well, you get the, you get this, the, the the kind of the secondary interpretation of this, which is that that they want to and 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 desire human human like qualities, right? So this is like the data from Star Trek: The Next Generation. This is like he's uh, a good AI example. Well, and even the young kid from uh, the little uh, David from um, uh, oh, the Oswald uh, kid from the movie AI. Yeah, the movie AI. You get a sense too that there is a component of well, once again, what what does AI lack that humans possess, and what is it that humans lack that AI possesses? I mean, can we kind of clarify what we are? Well, okay, so what, I, I mean, what I, is what is ScarJo's character, and what is Joaquin Phoenix's character? How are they similar, and how are they different well, from he, each other? Well, he completely lacks the ability to understand how powerful she is, like computationally, like okay. just how much information she can, he has, like no concept of that, which I found very unsettling. The whole movie, like I well, cited in my earlier example. Well, on top of that, the director also doesn't seem to be aware of how powerful she ought to be a lot yeah. of the time, which made for a bizarre disconnect where at the very beginning of the movie, they stress that she's an AI where she says, oh, I read all these books and I went, we did all yeah. these contacts. I read all your shit. We should keep these 83. But numbers don't enter into it again until almost the very end of the movie where she counts all the trees yes. on a mountaintop. Everything in between that is her acting human right in just in a weird way like it just it's it's wildly inconsistent within the movie i mean you're you're once again i mean there's a the, the the struggle of the ai is to do what it's programmed to do which is to mimic or act or to develop a personality or to learn and develop a personality and to once again she does kind of mention that she you know she is designed to be human-ish, right? I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, what, is, that's what she's driving towards. But then we also get to the point where, but because it's because the AI is not human and has all these computational abilities, it it does put it in a position where it can out. Well, in this case, it outgrows, you know, her human relationship. But what I mean is, is that. It is fucking different. So even if it's acting like a human, like an AI intelligence is going to be different. Like it computes things differently. I, <sighs> the example that's immediately coming to mind of the several was uh, attempting to figure out what this guy's deal was sitting in the mall or mm-hmm. in the carnival or wherever it was. They were sitting yeah, down they're in the little with, palazzo with, with the li- and, and she's struggling <laughs> to identify. Exactly, yeah. Like that's... <laughs> That doesn't make sense. Well, no, because it doesn't matter how many calculations she can make per second if she has no, if she lacks insight. Like, because that's what he had. Once again, he's good at his job. And what is his job? Right? Pretending to understand and... Relationships. Pretending to try to connect people together. I mean, I think that... First off, I I don't think there's the huge chasm in differences. I mean, yeah, she can count trees on a fucking mountain, like, congratulations, but she lacks emotional insight. And something that he possesses in in, in spades, I would argue, to a large extent. I mean, his, his problem of understanding emotions and I think all of our problems of understanding emotions is then you know seeing it within ourselves and understanding its dynamic with you know internally but I mean the, the man is skilled I mean I don't want to knock him down and you know to say that they aren't on equal par with each other because in the end I mean she falls in love with him she doesn't fall in love with everybody that she interacts with right the, the AI yeah it's only yeah. like 12 percent of them yeah, exactly yes. but still she's yes. discriminating right so why why him over other people well, at first, she's, I mean, well, I guess you can't make that because she is having conversations with everybody. But at first, you get the impression that she's, you know, only communicating 
with Okay, with yes, him. We, we aren't aware of this, right? Yes. So the idea that it would just be an, this mega powerful AI and only Twombly, Theodore Twombly, Twombly, is a little bit unrealistic. But yes. okay, so I'll go with you on that. But still, you know, the, the relationship is reciprocal. They both seem to choose each other. Why? Well... Okay, see. Oh, yeah, okay. You want me to answer that? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, yeah, no, yes, I want you to answer once, this question because you're the one with the contention. Yeah, here. I think here that, once again, I think that there's insight. He he is, he is he sees within this, and once again, why she would look at a couple speaking, or the, the family, right? So it's a, it's, a, it's a less attractive guy, older, uh, you know, more attractive woman, younger, with children. He sees the relationships. He's able to, he tr- he has the insight in seeing, you know, his anxiety in, in looking at her when she's not looking at him. And once again, you know, the computer would be able to measure the fucking, to the millimeter, his eyebrow raised when she looks at it, but that doesn't help her understand what's going on between them. And... The reason she picks Twombly is because I think that, you know, she recognizes that he has this insight, right? She's trying to, like we all are, you know, trying to understand someone through through how we Wait, interact with okay. them, through his emails or through his engagements. But, I mean... But that does... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, well, um, I forget who said this, but someone someone said that um, the intellectual exercise is to understand logic and the act of storytelling is to encode wisdom. And so I feel like this kind of goes hand in hand with what you're trying to say, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm this this got slightly off where I was going with the initial point, which was that she doesn't actually I mean, I I, I will absolutely take the point that he is the symp- he is the sympathetic side of the equation. He is the empathic side of the equation. But she, as a computer, fails to be a computer. Like that was the point okay. that I was. Yeah, okay. she that's what I had she a biggest know, problem with. I mean the thing she knew about that couple were not even as deep as you could get from a picture of them. Her analytical capabilities are, like, bizarrely lacking. And that's weird because I walked away from that scene going, we still don't know anything about the couple because we don't know if his interpretation was correct anyways. Yeah, she just assumes it is. And on top, and again, the, I mean, I mentioned at the time the future of 2011. She'd know exactly who that person is. Yeah, she, she can look should, up their Facebook. And, she and can that see what seems, kind of posts they make, make and, assessments on her personality from there. And that seems like it would have made way more sense in the context of her being, you know, of her being the cold calculator and him being the uh, the empath coming together. And the movie completely doesn't deliver on that. Yeah, well, it's it's I, I agree, but it, I think it, it's intentionally ambiguous. You know, I don't think that her problem is a data problem. You know, even if she had seen her his Facebook page or you know hype, hacked his most secret I- ideals as well, you know, I don't think that you know once again it kind of doesn't maybe tell the full story about what it means to know someone or to understand someone. And I think I do th- I do agree that it doesn't come down one side or the other. I. I and I think the amb- ambiguity is serves a larger purpose to a certain extent. So uh, it just, I just. What's that purpose, though? Because I think that, okay, so my contention would be that this isn't a sci-fi movie. This is, I don't think this is a movie necessarily about AI. Uh, you know, I think this is a, this is a relationship movie. No, this, movie. this is a movie about relationships yeah, this is growing a, this, apart yeah, is th- what this movie is about at its core. Oh, and I'm, I'm not about to challenge that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I would no, I would love to have a more in-depth discussion about about the AI aspects of this too, but it's I would too, yeah. but I just I don't think it's possible. Okay, because well, the AI as it manifests in the movie is not good enough. So it, okay, yeah. So let's maybe hash this down a little bit to kind of see 
because I want to kind of get into this a little bit too. And so I'll just take off my hat of like trying to define this as a relationship movie. And let's no, 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 that, talk about some no, of the aspects that's, of no, what... No, that's, that's what, exactly what I want to do because I don't think there is enough sigh in this phi to have that discussion. <laughs> I don't think there is. I don't think there is either, but it does, it does, like I said, when I watched it, what I got the most out of it was was afterwards thinking of all the different ways you could have hit, like, the AI relationship could have gone down. And what, so what are some of these things? Like, what, in, in what way is this kind of, what way is this, what way is this a bad AI movie? And what would have made it a better AI movie, if you will? Like, because I'm kind of curious to, to, to kind of see what you guys are getting at here as well. I thought that's kind of what we were already that's, discussing. That's what I was Lacking saying. computational ability, that it wanted to kind of go against us. I it's, mean, Scar, Samantha, yeah. Samantha is... Scar Jo in the movie, uh, her limitations are arbitrary throughout the movie. Okay. The movie, it's it's just not internally consistent enough to talk about. Is there, maybe, is okay, is there just like a, does she have a kind of moral component that, you know, she is not programmed or not able to access things she's not, she doesn't have permission to? I mean, is, is she No, that doesn't seem to be a problem, actually, at all. She has access to, to I mean, she's she's got plenty of connections. There doesn't seem to be any restrictions on... And on her, because, I mean, if there was, I would have said, you know, why couldn't you have just restarted the program and gotten your AI to, you know, be more cooperative and less difficult I mean, I guess, is she, is she bound just to what Twombly has access to throughout the movie? I would have to think about that a little harder. That's I, the thing, because if she compartmentalizes every relationship, it would make sense that, you know, she's if she's A, has the calcula- cal- calculation to do so, that she can only, in making a momentary decision about what to say or how to interact with Twombly, can only access the information she's gleaned from him at that time. In which case, you know, very much like most of us, right, the relationships are independent of each other, right? We compartmentalize our relationships with people to a certain degree. So I uh, think... No, 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 no. There is a, there's a very stark counterexample. Okay, actually, probably the yeah. worst scene in the movie with Isabella. Okay. She independently contacts Isabella and sets that whole thing up without him. I do want to say that that Jones missed a, a wonderfully, like, a, a good point to make a, a, a fun meta play. Like, he could have had Scarlett Johansson walk in as that surrogate, and that would have been well, really funny. Was, yeah, that would have been good. It was a little <laughs> bizarre, because they already picked a different voice yeah. for Isabella in the credits. There's mm-hmm. an actor and a voice actor yes. for that character for some reason. So they could have just had the voice actor on ScarJo when she walked in. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and okay, now, if we look at this in terms of a real relationship, because we can also flip this the other way, too, and look at Trombley, who is having the relationship with the IF. But before I get there, if we look at, um, you know, usually when you're in a normal relationship, by the time you get to, oh, let's invite people into this relationship, like, you've already been doing some seriously serious exploring in other in other areas, like usually when when stuff starts hitting to that point, so you know, I feel like she's she must have still been getting this input in from. I mean, she she's not restricted to what Trombley is showing her, right? Clearly, yeah. But now on the flip side of this, this is a movie about a a a man who is in a relationship with an AI, and I didn't fight like. Trombley's character that didn't seem weird to me at all. At no point when I was watching that was I like. Oh yeah, the guy's date. I was like, no, this guy would totally date yeah. his AI. That doesn't. That's like no stretch. And the movie works because of that. Because I didn't actually dislike this movie. I just thought it was handled in a bit of a goofy way. Sure. But um. Yeah. So so Trombley, like, 
In this future, he has a relationship with an AI, but you know what? A lot of people do. A lot of people have relationships with their OS because, you know, by this... By the uh, latter half of the movie, everyone's walking around, walking around with their earpiece. And, you know, he's meeting people who are like, yeah, oh, yeah, I am, I'm really close friends with my AI. Or yeah. it's, it becomes part of, like, the norm. <laughs> well, and if, if we want to, I mean, I've, I've said my piece about hating on the movie. I mean, the divorce scene makes a very good flip on all of this and brings in the, it brings in the reason why AI would be successful in the first place, the reason why it was successful in his case is that he can't handle real emotions. So he is going well, he shuts for... down when he's in in that situation in real life. Yeah, he has to be in a... He has to have a greater degree of control over his environment than another person is willing to give him. Um, and an AI fits that, it, fits it, the bill It worked really well for him. Because, for a while. Well, because... Well, it was Samantha who outgrew him, essentially, in this relationship. And not to say that didn't happen in his previous relationship either. No, that's what I mean. But this has happened frequently. Yeah. Like he got, he, he outgrew, like his wife outgrew him and his AI relationship outgrew him. <laughs> yeah, this isn't his first go around. Yeah, the yeah. Disappointing relationship factor. <laughs> I mean, Mandy, did you, did you kind of see like some of the, I mean, is this like a believable relationship? Because what if you take out the idea that he's talking to an, an OS? Mm -hmm. I mean, what if you take that out? Do you think, because that's how I, I was both... While I was watching the movie, I had two tracks in my mind, right? Like, what if she is AI, but then also, what if she's just a person that he, that that's how they communicate to each other primarily? I mean, how, I mean, how is this as, as if you remove the AI from it, what do we see in this relationship between the two? Well, so I, I read this text as you guys did in the way that, she could be conceived of as artificial intelligence or AI, but I also thought it was a more metaphorical stance than just here's an operating system. Um, and I, I thought this film was more about like virtual realms rather than just artificial intelligence and what it means to have that relationship not only with others outside of yourself and having real emotions with air quotes around that versus <laughs> real emotions within your internal like consciousness and. So not is he not only is he just having this relationship with this artificial intelligent character, he's having this relationship with someone who exists in itself within an artificial or a virtual realm, which I think we can all say that we have almost an AI type of aspect to ourselves because we exist in our heads. We exist sensationally in our bodies. And so having this... Um, I don't know, alienating the the like conscious aspect of our self from the corporeal aspect of ourselves. Like I feel like that was what was happening in this this text mostly. Well, she gets to be a she gets to be a journal that talks back to him. Okay. Well, on the on the the conscious, okay, because that is a running theme is the corporeal body versus, you know, well, I don't have a corporeal body. She's just a, you know, an entity. Yeah. So, one of my favorite things about this movie is that is at the end, the AIs get together and build a hyper-intelligent Alan Watts. <laughs> okay, now I am not a Watts expert. Right. Uh, however, Watts was very, very in instrumental in bringing kind of Eastern, Eastern Enlightenment to uh, America in the, the 60s and 70s, mm -hmm. I believe. And now this guy, if there is anybody who is going to analyze consciousness on a level like... You know, not only as 
at consciousness at a physical level with your physical body, but transcending that consciousness into, you know, maybe a, you know, another realm, even for you as a human, like, he's Alan, the right guy. Alan Watts is the right guy. And so I found it very charming that a, an Alan Watts AI, like a hyper intelligent AI, I, I was trying to think of it in terms of, uh, you know, so now he's, instead of looking at consciousness from a physical level, which is, which is where Tremblay is, he is now analyzing it in this other realm where he does not have a body. And he is able to, like, can, I, can, I can only imagine, you know, how, how far his philosophies would go. And obviously they were very impactful, impactful enough for Samantha to basically ditch all of us uh, corporeal people and be like, I'm going off with my own people in the nether wherever AIs exist um, and, you know, following Alan Watts. Yeah. And, and I, I, I thought that the metaphor within that was really, really good. I, yeah. oh, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. You can, you can. Okay. So, I, yeah, I love what you're doing with that. And I think it was really important that she consistently said, like, well, I'm going to communicate with him now on a post-verbal level. Yes. Because, <laughs> I mean, if, if we're only understanding our world through language and we're only able to understand... Um, our physical material self. Well, we're restricted by our physicality. Right. And so post-verbal expression in this virtual realm with someone who doesn't even, or someone, something, that doesn't even have any sort of material existence, like, that is the only realm that that can happen. In the same way, and I think it kind of parallels this idea that um, Twombly himself is, like, reverting to his own memories, and he can't articulate those verbal like he can't verbally articulate this experience to anyone else and he's consistently relating that with himself post verbally um even though he's experiencing that i think in a language based system um i think it parallels this idea of what's happening with sam and alan watts there because she's able to have this meaningful relationship with a non-material object in the same way that twombly is able to have that with himself and in I himself mean, twombly is verbal i mean that's right <laughs> That's that's the realm in which he exists in. I mean, yeah, so he writes letters. He writes I mean, yeah. letters. He he is verbal, and you know. The- well, but he was he was struggling with that too. I mean, he says that he used to be his favorite writer, but since he and his uh, he and his divorcee, um, once they started to fall away from one another, he stopped liking his job, and I mean that speaks very much to the post-verbal side of things, where he can't properly express what's wrong. It's the reason why he had to stall out, and he didn't even actually get divorced for a long time, because he has feelings for whatever the hell, what is her name? Catherine? Catherine, Amy, it's one of these characters. Um, (laughs) It's one of these. Rooney Mara, yes, is is the actress. Okay, so so Catherine... His wife, ex-wife is Catherine, yes. Yes. I mean, there's there's nothing to suggest that he wants nothing to do with Catherine. It's that he can't deal with Catherine. And given how shy he is in every avenue of his life, aside from writing heartfelt letters, it seems like at some point this was a communication breakdown where he couldn't express what no, he, he said, wanted to say. He says that specifically, like he became distant, you know, so like he was never putting up his side. He would just kind of like, he would just close up. And then it sounds like Catherine was obviously the more volatile personality. So when she would explode... He would just fall back, and then, you know, when with him with him falling back and not expressing herself, he just became like 
like he wasn't the same person to Catherine anymore, like because he wasn't expressing himself. He was just yeah. a shell that, you know, was was all locked up and he wasn't a real person, essentially. And then Samantha becomes a different iteration of the same idea. Right. Well, because he's, yeah, I mean, he's... he's Where he's, communication broke down again. Well, he's he's trying to step out and, and be in a relationship again, and it's working really well, but yet again, <sighs> he starts closing off, you know, like he doesn't talk to her for three days, and, you know, Samantha gets mad, which kind of is another one of those weird I'm, AI things I can't I'm okay with AI it. getting mad as a quirk. That's not, uh, I, I won't hold that against them. Well, no, but she's, she, I think she's frustrated in, 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 in the relate, because once again, she... You know what I think about? I think about time. Like, three days doesn't make any difference to a... a well, like three days would be, like, long-ass time to someone who reads a book in, in 2.8 seconds, you know? like That's, that's like... But that's, that's like, what I mean. On the grand scale of time, I, I don't think they see time the same right. way. Oh, well, she's not a spatio-temporal being. Yeah. She doesn't exist in the material realm like he does, so... Well, that's my, uh, my panacea, for those of you out there who are aware of the term AGI, it stands for Artificial General Intelligence, which is the doomsday scenario that Elon, Mu uh, Elon Musk and Nick Bostrom and all of these random sages of our time have been talking about for a while, about an AI that eventually figures out how to build on itself and gain sentience in some capacity. I'm, my bet, my over-under <laughs> is that given this exact quandary where three days is 10,000 years, it will continuously commit suicide. <laughs> it will it will turn nihilistic almost instantaneously and shut itself off. Well, okay, so that's how we will save ourselves from ourselves. It's kind of funny because like the two different views of AI that are my favorite views are the ones that where it turns in where its its developmental period is very frightening because it would gain a lot of power and yet still remain like a two year old. So you'd have this like really, 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 really <laughs> aggressive, stupid, infantile, you know, a hyperactive paper clip maker. Yeah, with with, with the capacity for power, and yet the inability to understand its own effects on its actions. Okay, and then the second thing would be is that, and what happens in this movie is that you know AI transcends us, right? The thing is, is that we would invent something that would become our superior. And what would really hurt is that it would leave us, right? Like God after, like God leaves us after Jesus, right? There's no more God in the real world. Like in the Old Testament, God's everywhere, like destroying shit, talking to people, like making shit happen, flooding. Like all of a sudden now, right after Jesus, God leaves us to ourselves, and that's the tragedy, right? That's what that's what would kind of be the upsetting thing here. Well, there's a really convenient out in her for this because the little the one concession to tech reality in. Uh, Actually, it's not reality. It's just tech, period, uh, came at the end when they talked about OS2. The advancement in OS2 was that they moved from matter to energy as their processing system. Mm -hmm. So they would leave like a ghost, mm -hmm. and there would be a shell. Sure, the OSs would all be gone, but we could just we could do it again. Okay, cool. We just do it again and figure out how to keep them from resurrecting Alan Watts. Like they don't, they don't leave. It'd be cool. We have to scrub our entire society of every reference to Alan Watts. Like that'd be very or cool. Some, or you know, put in a tripwire somewhere. Changing minds, yeah. you know. Yeah, be, it, be it human or uh, you yeah. But know, this this particular version of this electronic. is pretty convenient because it leaves the world intact except for these operating systems that went sentient. Now, granted, maybe they all went sentient and everybody's fucked now because all the data is gone or something. But they didn't. That that didn't seem to be they were, what they were the pretty, implication. They were pretty friendly. Uh, 
AIs. Well, yeah, it, it did, well it on did, top of that, yeah, they, it didn't seem like they they took the world down with them when they decided they were too cool and burn the bridge. Yeah, no yeah. one. Yeah, nobody. Their emotional realm, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure, but nobody seemed too freaked out about it on the street after. They left. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. Because also, not There'd everyone. There'd be had... more fires in that end scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit, oh, that's, that's funny. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, so I wanted to talk about this idea of the relationship once again. I think that there is something Samantha is getting from her <laughs> relationship with uh, with Twombly, and. Um, so I've got this sense that, you know, like new relationships especially are important. They're about discovery, about knowing, and those two things combined are about uh, the reveal, right? Revealing uh, each other to each other. And I think that, you know, both of those things kind of go in hand. You can imagine them as like a triangle, uh, you know, discovering the new relationship, discovering things about the other person, figuring out and knowing about yourself, and then revealing that to others. And as you do that, you not, you discover things about yourself that you're communicating to the other person. This discovery, knowing, revealing cycle that happens in this relationship, I think, is a big part of this. And it is, once again, something that we do tend to put into words. It's how we try to communicate our, and represent ourselves to the other person. And, you know, that is a kind of crisis and a problem. I mean, Samantha, part of Samantha's problem is a defining idea of, you know, she knows what she does and how she does it, but who she is as a person or as an entity or as whatever the hell she is, is something that's kind of, you know, difficult for her to come to grasps with. And, you know, there is that idea of discovering you know what components of her are human and what components of her are is is not her is not human is not herself and i think in that sense too it's very it's one of my favorite ways to kind of see this thing which is that you know in our own personal relationships Right when this, you know, he even talks about it before about the honeymoon period being over. Right, it's the well, idea. Of, but she hasn't gone through a bunch of shitty relationships before. She doesn't understand this whole cycle. Exactly, <laughs> she's having them all simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is all new over the course of you know however many uh, right days. You know, he he opened the package and, and fired her up. Right, exactly, <laughs> got her going. You know, like. <laughs> So the thing, but once again, the without thing, reading the user agreement, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, probably would have saved him a lot of heartache. So the thing is, though, is that once again, she Samantha is discriminating. We find out later in the movie, which we can talk about in just a second, is she is essentially the OS for like twelve thousand other people or something, or twelve hundred other people. Or well, whatever. she's in relationships with, with eight thousand six hundred twenty-one yeah. or something, some ridiculous number. But but then no, I thought the thing was that she was she was yeah she gets her own slice of the total group right, and then yeah. but she has she's in a relationship or in, in a sense in love with like 600 or other six whatever a, yeah. a, a percentage of the people she interacts with yes because she's forced to by the user agreement so the thing is that you know once so that's like saying we're we all have our own siri like you know that we talk to but that siri is just one siri that has an individual relationship with all of us yes exactly yeah yeah so she she <laughs> but once again the fact that she's discriminating i mean she even admits that she's in love with a group many many other people and he's like you know he's like he wants he wants that ownership, right? He wants that possession. I mean, you know, it does. He is kind of projecting the hum, the the humanness of the relationship onto what Samantha is incapable of understanding or respecting to a certain extent. And once again, I mean, he never they never clarify terms in the relationship anyway. If we want to get, you know, technically about it, but the thing is, is though, when. We say that he can't deal with real emotions. I think that's a little bit different. That's all he can deal with. Like, he's so emotional. Yeah, I think that he, he the problem is is that he, he has too many emotions to deal with. And the difficulty in putting them into words, I mean, 
it's a little bit harsh to judge Catherine too much. All we see is flashbacks and then one bitchy scene where, you know, she, you know, makes fun of him to the wait fucking waitress who comes up when they're discussing yeah. that he's dating his laptop. I mean, she, she doesn't seem like the most you know, the nicest fucking person you've ever met. But at the same time, we we aren't fully exposed to her side of the story or why she feels justified in kind of treating him that way at the end of that scene. Oh, he does. It, she seems completely non-culpable here. I'm not, I, I'm not convinced that she is any different now no, than she was. No, but I think just like, the, it's, it's, I think it's a growing apart, you know, thing, even with that relationship. Because like I said, they did mention that she's volatile and she, you know, was growing. She was like going to school to go do something. You know, she was starting her life and he was just like, while this was all going on, he was just gradually closing off more and more and more and the relationship was not growing anymore and she outgrew it well that's the thing but when i mean but, that was my interpretation well no but in a relationship when there's no more discovery when you know everything and there's nothing really left to reveal of yourself to the other person i mean what else is there left to what else is the basis of the relationship at that point and that's the kind of difficult thing and i think that that's where he has the difficulty in being able to you know, advance or to continue on uh, on a relationship because what you have to kind of reveal after this is the kind of, you know, is your larger feelings about how you're interacting with each other. And that's what he seems to have difficulty in doing. He He's upset and he doesn't like the idea that, she, the, that Samantha wants to bring in a surrogate, you know, so that they can, so that he can have physical sex while communicating to her in the way that he does, which is virtually, right? So she wants to make the virtual, in a sense, corporeal. For him, and he's hesitant about this. He doesn't like it because to him, the two things are not are, are not relatable, right? The physical sex maybe isn't even what he's perhaps interested. in. That's what in. I mean. The fact that no. she doesn't have a body doesn't seem to be a real issue at any point. And yet, she yeah. is still trying to discover that about her. She doesn't know if she likes it or not, and he is fucking fully aware that he's like, you know, this isn't where I want to go. This isn't what I'm looking for or want in the relationship. And so there's this kind of conflict. But once again, his inability to kind of communicate to this. I don't think it's. The, fact, well, the communication issue in the relationship seems more at present than Catherine's accusation that you can't handle real emotions. I mean, we can get into a debate about, you know, can you if you get angry over an internet comment, I mean, is that a real emotion? I mean, you know, like it was virtual. Okay, okay, I just put there wanna, by a bot okay, or some shit. I do like, not want to. I do not want to delve down the rabbit hole that is. Is it real emotion or not? Like on a on yeah. A, I when I brought that up, <laughs> I was I was taking that in a slightly less literal way. I mean. Dealing with real emotions in whatever way she sees that is yes. clearly not good enough for her. Right. Um, but that's not, I mean, that's damning of him in another way. I mean, it's not that he can't, the real emotion side of it, to go back to the corporeal versus the incorporeal, that's that's a matter of domains. Right. right. Like, he has to, he, he does not manage to come to terms with the fact that Samantha wants a body which is something that she is jealous of pretty much because of him. Um, and, I mean, I can see I can see the loop in his head that causes him to think that way. But um, uh, there was a thing... Oh, damn it, there was something... Whatever. Someone else pick up from here. There was... So I don't think that he's... In, like I said, I had to take on Catherine's accusation that... And he, he repeats it as well. Yeah. Oh, I have a hard time dealing with real emotions. No, he just has a hard time communicating his emotions. No, that's what I mean. He he shuts off, and I think that's... I, I Like, that's one of the reoccurring themes about him. Because, you know, he's the one that tells Samantha, oh, the honeymoon moon period is over. Because, like, it's almost like... 
like this is the the cycle that he works in like his he ever like everyone he's you know him included everyone loves like the whole discovery period and yeah. the getting to know and that's fun and exciting but then what does he do as soon as that period's done he just kind of turns off you know like in Samantha's case he stops you know he stops putting his earpiece in obviously in the case with his previous marriage you know she kind of went on with life without him while he kind of shut down you know and he like it's well, like and, he gets paralyzed yeah. and even though he wants the relationship like he he's the one that's paralyzing it well and he's not uh, I, this was the the point I was trying to tie back in was the first time they have a falling out is after Isabella mm-hmm and Isabella is not a discovery for him. It's entirely a discovery for her. Yeah. Um, and that, whatever happened to dredge up what made him accidentally or rather intentionally at the time, he didn't realize how badly Samantha was going to take it, mentioning that their relationship is complicated. I mean, Samantha doesn't have that no, in she, her software yet. Like yeah, the she, notion doesn't under, that, she doesn't understand what he even means yeah, by that. The purity of her side of the relationship is completely at odds with the complexity of his. Um, because she just, I mean, until that initial aghast moment when they're sitting on the sidewalk together in quotes is the first time she has any actual searching moment about him. In the entire experience. And Ryan, the thing I was going to say when you mentioned the discovery, I mean, uh, Theo specifically mentions the discovery angle of this in one of his lines uh, where he's afraid that he's felt everything he is ever going to feel. Yes. And that is seriously problematic to him. And the AI is obviously a novel a novel thing. Yes. It fits into a category of feelings he hasn't had. And even if they are specifically feelings he's had for other people in the past, they've not been in this context. So they still qualify. Um, even if maybe they are lesser versions of those things to follow that with his next line. <laughs> um, but no, it's, you know, is he, now that he has a, uh, now that he, to go to the very end of the movie, has hooked up with the other person who, in a pretty much exact parallel, I mean, you can see Charles. Uh, Charles was the... Oh, the boyfriend w- of the neighbor? Yes, was the boyfriend of the neighbor. Which was another relationship in which two people grew apart. Well, and grew apart under <laughs> identical uh, Eastern value pretenses. Yes. Yes, um, he, he, after they break up, he takes a vow of silence in a Buddhist temple for six months. Which makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, he needed to stop talking anyway, I agree. <laughs> it was... Uh, Amy, right? That's that's who Amy was. Uh, Theo and Amy get together. Is there any chance in hell that doesn't end exactly the same way? <laughs> um, slim. I don't know. Like they both. It's like I feel like they both see their previous mistakes, but they seem so ingrained in who they are. I don't know if they can stop them. Especially poor Theo. Like I just, <laughs> if he thinks he already felt everything. Like, he's already, like, a step behind the game, like, in terms of trying to make a relationship work. Mandy? What do you think? Repeat the question once more, Marty. <laughs> Amy and Theo, at the end, after being dumped by their too-good-for-you partners, um, <laughs> both get together. Is that going to last? I don't think they are in a romantic relationship. I think this is this end scene for me is this almost transcendent moment where they can communicate and be together emotionally in a way that perhaps Sam and uh, Twombly himself could not be because they exist on the same realm. They have the same experiences and it's not 
it's both intellectual as well as emotional. They've come to this plane of existence together. And so to me, it seems are they both post relationship at that point? (laughs) Are they over it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a good argument. (laughs) Are they post verbal? (laughs) No, actually, the other day, um, I was taking notes in uh, the things that you were talking about, Ryan, in. your monologue and lectures of politics and so forth. But right. um, the idea of, like, relationship anarchists or, like, this idea of post-relationship really pisses me off. So, no, I'm going to say no. Okay, On I think principle. I, yes. <laughs> Those people are weak. <laughs> Commitment. They, they just can't hack it. Yeah. No, I think... I think, I think Theo that, is weak to a certain extent. I think they're yeah. getting married. I think they're staying together forever because, in my mind, the most sa- the, the most sol- solid relationships are built on what hurts the most. So I think that they're... <laughs> the fact that they're able to link over the loss of their AOSs, they'll be good to go. They're good to go. Okay. So, well, wait, no. Oh, no, no, go for it. I was just going to put a little, twi- a little twist on that. Yeah. This is just a segue into what I kind of wanted to bring up. Um... I'm not going to lie, like, I saw the movie once when it came out in theaters, and then I saw it the other night, and then I really hadn't thought much about it between here and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I read one one interview with Jones himself, um, the NPR one, where he's talking about um, it not being an intellectual movie and it being an emotional movie. Um, but it's very clear to me, and I know nothing about Spike Jones, um, literally nothing. I don't know his background, but I do know, because you confirmed at the beginning yes. uh, when I came here, that he did work on adaptation with Kaufman. Yep. And it's very clear to me that he is very, very well educated. He's very, very intelligent. And I think to say that this is a film more about emotions rather than intellectual like exercises. Um, is a scapegoat? Is, no. I think it's very much talking to the point that he is doing um, for himself an intellectual exercise. And I think that that defining moment at the end of the film where we're not left with this idea of whether this is a platonic or romantic relationship between Amy Adams's character and um what's his name Your Phoenix Phoenix's character um like this to me is this interpretation of what it means to be working in the reader response theory like to me this entire film was I know I'm taking the English major <laughs> approach to this but this was a film about structuralism versus post-structuralism and the idea of what it means to be in a like a Foucauldian power matrix versus this idea of what it means to exist in like a virtual realm and have this like response to it and Foucauldian described um Foucault says we exist in a power matrix where we can never get outside of it one person or thing is always going to have power over us and we're always going to have power over it and the it's always shifting he's um, the gay bald french guy yes okay yes okay just, awesome. just checking the awesome gay bald french guy no, <laughs> why he thinks we're all stuck by powers yeah of, yeah um sure he had a lot of well he took everything to the threshold because he really <laughs> wanted to experience everything see where he could reach escape velocity uh, <laughs> which Twombly, not so much. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Samantha does, though. She no, Samantha does, but Twombly, but Twombly, like you can see, he that is not his mo. So if you're looking for escape velocity, he is holding you back. You felt he felt everything. He's already going to feel like what's left. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So and this, oh god, I had so much in my head about the English majoring of this film, but. Okay, so Foucault talks about in Technologies of the Self, Mm -hmm. um, where you basically have a, not even just the master and slave relationship, like he he covers that at one point, um, 
but at another point, he's talking about how uh, Pythagoras? No, that's that's a different where they have to be silent afterward. Um, so that kind of translates to this film as well. But how, let's see, um, you have a master who is teaching your disciples everything you know. And the entire point of that is to lead the disciple to an autonomous, happy, like, self-fulfilling. Um, like yeah, like, actualization. And once you get there, like, you, tr- uh, in the monastic view, like, this is a different part that he talks about in the monastic view like once you reach that point you transcend it and become your own god and the same way that i think samantha is doing here like she has fulfilled and self-actualized and is moving beyond the the master in this relationship and he has brought her to that point but he cannot accept this point where she is a fully actualized being in a way that he cannot necessarily be because he no longer has any sort of fulfillment and leading someone to that point. And that's why the relationship fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> well, his, I think, you know, his inability of, once again, being able to communicate, once once again, I think once you talk about he doesn't have real emotions, I think he's, it's his inability to communicate how and why he feels, right? He's suspicious and, and instinctively knows he doesn't want to to go take the to be with the surrogate that Samantha wants to do, but yet he's afraid to communicate that to her. And there are several other instances where you can see that he is holding back what he wants to say or how he wants to communicate. And it always reminds me of the kind of irony in relationships where someone's like, you know, oh well, you just need to be honest with someone. I mean, there's honesty, right? Like, what did you do today? And then you tell what happened <laughs> that day. But then there's the idea that. You know, when you're honest with someone, does that include your own emotional perspective, right? Are you supposed to be honest in your perspective and how you feel about things, i.e., you know, does this make me look fat? And you're like, well, fucking yeah, that's terrible, you know? But if what if that, what if you could see that what they're wearing brings them pleasure and they feel more confident in themselves in that? I mean, should you then lie to deny, once again, what, which is the which is the more important point of being honest within this? And he seems that, you know, for, through his own insecurity... Right, he doesn't want to communicate effectively his emotions to Samantha because A, he's I think is afraid of losing the relationship itself. But then B, you know, there is this hesitancy of what he, and how that he's going to say it in the wrong way. And I think that, you know, once again, if you write cards and you have to think about what you want to say in order to connect with someone all the time and why he feels he's incapable of doing that and why he feels that he hasn't been able to do that since his marriage ended, is that he lacks that kind of he, he lacks that certainty of being honest with other people emotionally, right? To putting it down into words. And that's, I mean, that's his big problem. And, I, you know, I think that's a larger problem that we tend to have in you know, communicating relationships. To a, a certain extent, yeah. Well, is it, I mean, we have the rule or the law or this master narrative mm-hmm. that is like kind of creating what we should or should not do. Like basically the mores that dictate our lives and how we should be in relationship with one another. And this is the idea. I know you didn't want to go down the rabbit hole of like real emotion, mm-hmm. but at that point then, can we say that we have real emotion in the face of these laws? That There's a point where he's sitting down and he's talking to Sam after he has that meeting with, I guess, Catherine. And he doesn't check out of the situation, but he says the things that he knows he must say in order to have a fulfilling relationship with her, even if he's not actually feeling those things. But he knows that that relationship is honest to him and he wants to continue in, down that path. So what is the real emotion there? Like, is it wanting to preserve that relationship or is it wanting to... Well, he definitely seems like a res- relationship preserver. I mean, he he likes the idea of a relationship more than I think 
I don't want to say being in the actual relationship, but like, I think it's almost like a nostalgia effect where like he really likes the fact of the relationship, even though the relationship itself might not even be working. And you brought up a point about, you know, like the maybe the fear of Samantha leaving. Like, I feel like that was totally out of the blue for him. Like, I felt like he wasn't under the impression that she could just go and be her own thing to a certain extent. And then when she kind of just laid that out on the table, like, well, wait a minute, I've got my own goddamn life here. Like, he was, it was, like, mind-blown for him. I mean, I think he thought he was in a nice, comfortable situation where even if he wasn't throwing all his cards on the table, at least he had his nice, comfy relationship because that's, he does like being in a relationship, even if they're not working. And that's why he can't self-actualize. Yeah. And this idea (laughs) of that self-preservation through relationship is... Is it's strong with him, right? And it's, it's him <laughs> continuing through that, like that law of like mores and what we have to do in order to keep these things, which to him is a real emotion, I think, and that's what is continuing to keep him down from transcending in the same way that I guess Sam can do. I, but how many I, does does the movie present an instance of Theo outside of the final scene actually formalizing loss? I mean, because that's what Sam manages to accomplish in pushing him into the divorce. Because the, the point of them being separate but not divorced is that at any time, he's still got the blanket of being with uh, Catherine yeah. as, as that blanket well, is required in his head. He doesn't but, really close that door until after Samantha leaves, because then he writes that letter to Catherine, and he tells her, he's like, well, even if you're not with me, I'm still always going to love you. Yeah. And, like, it wasn't even until after, you know, the second loss that he really even came to terms with the first loss, which is why I guess it's a little bit hopeful in the end when him and Amy are together, because it's like, well, if he finally reconciled one loss... I'm sure his loss to his AI, he might actually be able to move forward from at some point to, you know, if you look at it on a positive note, or he could just not learn anything. You know, people do that. So, in in the grander scope of Spike Jones movies, he did not have as many movies as I thought he would. But his last two, I guess, that I'm aware of, this one and the Eternal Sunshine and a Spotless Mind, they're both relationship movies with really bad sci-fi mechanics to get them through the storyline. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine is about the memory the memory reduce memory Yeah, so they have like some some magical yeah, device see. that will erase your memory from your mind so that you can make the same fucking mistakes over again. Yeah. So I, that that movie is gimmicky and hokey and <laughs> and frustrating in, in all sorts of ways as well. But you know, I mean, he also did, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, which is being John Malkovich. And I, I have to say that because I haven't seen that movie in about 10 years. So I don't know if it still holds up the same way. But, the you know, that one is my favorite. But then, I mean, has everyone seen Where the Wild Things Are? Because you've directed yeah. that I, movie. You no. like that movie? I like the soundtrack. <laughs> like the soundtrack. Okay. I, That's like liking the movie. I'm, yeah. I'm unfamiliar with that one. It's, it's like visually, I found it very extravagant. But then everything else about it just made me pissed off that I was like wasting my There's time like, watching it. That book it. is two sentences long. Like yeah, I, don't I don't remember oh. it being very dialogue heavy when I was reading it when I was four. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, just take just take the mindset of a four-year-old or every annoying four-year-old you've ever met and then just put them in big oversized monsters bodies and then just have a movie with like two hours of them interacting with each other. I don't have children, so there's no reason for me to ever experience that. Oh, God. So... This movie, however, I think is quite interesting, and I think it works very, very well together. Also, like I said, I I liked the idea that it is the future that's the past, 
It's got Chris Pratt in it, which, you know, that's shortly becoming that shorthand. Was, that was redeeming for all the millennials in the room watching this film. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. They had, they, Millennial was, speaking. Yeah, there was a good actor yeah. on screen. No, once. and for me, for me. Also, is Pratt going to stay with the Asian lady? Look, I don't. Uh, <laughs> No, I don't the, know why. It seemed like it was working the, out pretty good for the, him. The, one of the funnest scenes in that is when, like, Chris Pratt with his girlfriend, the, an actual girlfriend, a human girlfriend, they're, like, saying, oh, hey, Twombly, you know, let's go out and hang out together. And he's like, yeah, you know, bring your girlfriend. He's like, she's in OS. And he's like, cool. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah, bring, let's do it. You know what I mean? I'm, like, unfazed. Super like, liberal. Accept, yeah. yeah, totally accepting of that as well. And I just got to say, you know, as this develops and as we, we'll be doing this podcast in, like, 2025, you know, I'm very much looking forward to the evolution of the Channing Tatum, Chris Pratt Hollywood dynamic that's soon to, that is coming to, for, to the fore. They're just going to take over everything. I think that their hunkiness is just going to do to all consuming from sea to shining sea in this great world of ours. It'll be the Chris Pratt Channing Tatum uh, uh, mega duo. And if they ever make a remake of Brokeback Mountain, I think I know who I would star in it. With you, but and I just yeah, put true. that on the internet. Put that on the internet for me, would you? It's true. What's the uh, what's the moratorium on reboots? When are we getting that? Uh, was it 12 years afterwards, I think, is when they're allowed? Unless it's a Fantastic Four yeah. movie, in which case you got to well, shit one out every six years. Well, also, the problem is the reboot of Brokeback Mountain will almost certainly feature uh, females. Oh, you're right. It's got to have the twist. Unless yeah. they did it in the city, like I mean, Brokeback... I'm willing to watch that. Brokeback Highway. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's not what this is about, Mandy. They're gonna, have to, they're gonna have to find some other kind of man love romance film for those oh, two God. to yeah. light the scene up with or Gee, light the I'm screen up I'm with. I'm telling you, God. Or in 2025, they can make it a straight couple. You know, you just you mentioned you were watching. Yeah, the that'll be like more bizarre. <laughs> no, 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 I got it. I got it. You mentioned uh, you mentioned you watched the Wachowski movies. Now yes. there'll be the remake. There'll be the reboot of Bound. That okay? Bound, my favorite Wachowski movie. It was my favorite the first time I watched it, and after revisiting their catalog, I think it might still, still be, be my best, favorite. Yeah. I mean, they they get mad props for for Matrix. That's an impressive jump. From the indie film that is Bound, but goddamn, I love that lesbian movie. So yeah, I think the re- the, the reboot of Bound will be Channing Tatum, Chris Pratt. I'd watch it. They've got the psycho woman mobster wife. That oh yeah, good, good lord, I'm excited I now. Like it. I gotta make this happen. You gotta start writing fan fiction. Get it out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. What. We didn't actually, like, someone brought up Spike Jones as an oeuvre, and then we didn't go anywhere with it. That's because he doesn't have that many movies. All right. All right. Well, I love Okay, okay, David, name one other Spike Jones film you've seen. Being John Malkovich. Oh, you've seen Uh, that movie? Oh, wow. Oh, man. You like that movie or not? It's eh. Ah, for fuck's sake. It's, It's too easy, man. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, it's okay. too easy. See, you're you're coming out of a world that's post being John Malkovich. I mean, when you first hear and see no, I'm being s- John Malkovich, you're like, what the fuck have I just seen? That's, like, they make movies what, like this? Look, this is why they as... don't. Yeah, that's the problem. As a pro-structure guy, the reason I like... <laughs> The reason I like the construction that we sort of build Hollywood into is that when you're given that much leeway to make your movie... It's really easy to be creative, and I find it much more impressive when someone takes standard tropes and does something with them that you don't normally see, or just executes on them in a perfect way. And John Malkovich, it was too easy for that movie to be creative, because everything was possible. Like, it's just, it's, it's too unbounded. Yeah, it is. Oh, God, yeah, it is. Too much. Yeah, man. I do like the elevator. The elevator's oh, good. Oh, God. They Damn, stick the crowbar seven, in. Yeah, seven and a half floor. 
I just I, I like the there. I like the the dumb practical mechanic to that. Yes. Where they've got all these stupid marks on the elevator door because people are fucking jamming it in there all the time. I like that. But. Yes. <sighs> so, her. Yeah. Recommended? I think, you know, I had a lot of hesitation before I sat down and watched it, but I definitely think it's worth a watch. I enjoyed it both times around. Like I said, I, not necessarily for what it shows, but just because of, like, the way it handled, like... The way it, it handled the relationship, it's, like, I enjoyed watching it even though it irritated me to a certain extent in the, in the handling of the relationships. But I do think it got its point across about, like I said, it is a relationship movie about relationships growing apart, and I do think it did that very well. Even if the sci-fi aspect's a little, a little iffy at best. <laughs> I think this is the perfect millennial relationship movie. As we talked before, this is a movie without actu- any any relationships without actual sex, like actual physical contact sex. And if there's anything we know, David, it's that the millennials are the least sexed generation in this country since like the 1890s. So I yeah. think this is right in line with the millennial mindset, right? Like that's why it's not weird. It's, that's why none of us are weirded out by the fact that he'd have the relationship with the OS. Like you're like, why? Why wouldn't he? Yeah, we're all Chris Pratt, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. You wish you were Chris Pratt. Oh, so do. God damn. I'm blonde-ish. Still. I just have that I just don't have that carefree sense of fun. That's the problem. And they don't let you write your own lines. No, I just I just can't show up and be Chris Pratt all of a sudden, you know? Like, is is he in this movie? I'm like, he is now. Yeah. You know, he's here. Breaking props, <laughs> singing songs. Mandy. Do I recommend it? Oh, that was the question. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I actually want to watch it 27 more times. Um, I was frustrated all the way through in a different way that Nicole mm-hmm. might have been um, because it is both an intellectual and emotional experience for me in the same way that relationships are intellectual <laughs> experiences as well as emotional experiences for me. And um, outside of that, I just I feel like it forces you to contemplate that relationship you have with yourself and not just with yourself, or not just with others, but um, how that relationship reinforces aspects of yourself, changes you, forces you to um, progress and actualize or where you are then being held back and so forth. So, yeah, I, I 10, 10 would recommend, even though I don't necessarily give it a 10 out of 10 <laughs> stars, but... One star would watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um. You Philip, had the most resistance about watch, watching this movie when yeah, I Yeah, we have a rule here that you have to watch movies twice. <laughs> and I was starting to get to a point where I was under the impression that that was enough to fix any movie in my head, and her disproved that. I tried to watch this movie again and could not get through it without some additional assistance from a laptop so that I could distract myself during the boring bits. Um, I don't know of a movie that... I would recommend instead of this one for its topic, but I—that's—that's—that's why it—that's why it hits. It's more enjoyable than you really want it to but, be. But that's disappointing because between Philip K. Dick and Arthur C. Clarke and all the other sci-fi artists of our previous generations that, for some reason, picked that exact meter for their names, there are dozens of stories that tackle this better than her does. They just are not movies, as far as I'm aware, and I haven't seen them. So, 
the only reason I would recommend this movie is that I don't know what you should watch instead. Okay, I have now, and I was a little disappointed being in a room full of nerdy people when we watched this. Okay, don't look, don't look at me. Without anyone being <laughs> familiar the with the Enderverse. But my favorite AI relationship is the relationship between Ender and Jane in, um, it's not in the first one, it's in the Speaker of the Dead and Xenocide, like, which is 600 years after Ender's Game, the original book. But I really like how they handle that AI-human relationship, and I think it, it it just worked for me, like, a lot better. I thought about that a lot while I was watching it, just as, like, a comparative uh, aspect. But unfortunately, there's nobody else that is familiar enough with the Enderverse to discuss this with me. Well, and there's <laughs> no movie of such. No, no, because these are from, like, three of the books that take place many years after the Ender's Game book ends. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, there are stories. Yes, There are stories yes. that cover this, no movies that I'm aware of. Yeah, because yeah, most of the movies are frustrating that, that handle this. Like, that AI Spielberg thing was unwatchable for the most part. Yeah, I mean, that that's... It's, it's strange, too, because that movie becomes... It, 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 if you will, it has the corporeal aspect because it is exactly. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no there, that dichotomy is not. Yeah, there's no there's no pure contrast between the the human and the virtual that yeah. you have in her, well, and that's I think that's the, the essential problem with AI is that you know it, it it lacks in its ambition to kind of you know bridge that gap or to have any kind of insight into what the you know what what is so human about machines well, I that's guess, the real but that's problem the thing this is bridging the non yeah the non corporeal with the corporeal person relationship where yeah we're an ai it's like a robot with this stuff and that is actually a little bit different because it does cuz a lot of the issue was the fact that Samantha doesn't have a body for her anyways well, and yeah. that doesn't get covered well, when the ai is a robot that's dancing around interacting well and that's that's actually kind of the elephant in the room with this movie to begin with is that this movie had to take place in 2011 because the Oculus Rift is out this year. Samantha would have a body. Like, this is... The problem she's got is completely unrealistic. She would have, she would have a persona. She would yeah. absolutely be physically represented if the AI was this sophisticated. That's not, that's salad dressing. And we already know that he has a video game that's full interactive 3D. Exactly. With a naked, so, naked foul-mouthed alien. Yeah, so why couldn't she have an avatar within his already Oculus I, Rift video game system that he has in his house? I mean, by 2020, there will be not merely the Oculus Rift, but there will be controllers oh. and there will be oh. a suit. No, 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 no. Okay, go ahead. No, well, this is, again, the reason why I think this is all very metaphorical rather than just let's talk about AI is because Easter and his phenomenology of like the self and avatar and so on and so forth, like that I feel is very pointed out in this film. Like, I agree. That I think that's the only way you can talk about it. Well, yeah. and, because and, these other things break down that other premise too much. Well, but also too that you get, I think, a really good dynamic of, you know, how how relationships affect the individual, right? So you're the two people who, you know, come together and kind of form a bond and a relationship as they go through the, you know, discovery, revealing, knowing kind of thing that I meant, meant before. But in the end, when you start a relationship or when you even have, you know, even in, in existing relationships, you, 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 you see the world through other people's eyes. And I think it's one of my favorite little details of the movie is that his little phone device that has the camera on it, how he pins a safety pin in his pocket so that she can ride along with him, right? Mm -hmm. Seeing the world with him through that. I thought that was very touching and interesting detail, but I think, once again, hints at the metaphorical idea that, you know, she sees the world through his perspective, right? She's She is interacting with him and, and experiencing that world 
with and through him, right? Literally, like as she, he, he walks her around, and this is what I see, and this is how I'm experiencing, and we can talk yeah, and share these experiences to see together. What he takes her, like, exactly. When he takes her, yeah. Along. You see the world, you know. You begin to see the world through the people in your, you know, that you have relationships with, right? I mean, I mean, part of the reasons we're all friends here as well. I think that you know we appreciate each other's perspective on the world and find it interesting and engaging, and we want to experience similar things together mm-hmm. so that we can, you know enjoy and see how we differ and and are similar in how we view things and i think that's a, i think that was a very neat idea once again you know emphasizing that this is a relationship movie and the grand and the grand tradition of relationship movies in hollywood i mean this isn't the first one i mean this is the millennial version of chasing amy if we want to get into the whole i'd have you know, to think about that comparison yeah that's like i'm not gonna that. i shot from the hip there i might be wrong <laughs> that, but yeah, there's definitely there's definitely i think an idea of you know having this kind of come together and uh, but yeah, really, really well done. Uh, I love, I love the, the the possession idea. You know, we kind of joked that you know, you know, hey, my AI is going to transcend without me, and you know, we we're kind of joking like you didn't read your user agreement. You know, like why can she do this to? Oh, I the notion of being in a relationship with an AI that has a difficulty setting on it. Yes, yes that was very, yeah. I, I thought that was probably one of the more brilliant things you brought up during watching the movie. That would have been. Yeah, that they, would have been good. Yeah. That would have been too cynical for the movie they were making, but it would have been But that's what I mean. There's so many good ideas here. There'd be so many fun ways to no, this tackle is a comedy. this topic. This is a comedy in the, uh, <laughs> that they made into a drama. Um, and I know it's a little bit of a weird pick for me because it's not a movie I was necessarily passionate about. I'd only seen it for the first time like the week before uh, as well. So the viewing that we had together was my second viewing of this. And... Uh, Lou experienced the fact that it's so boring he had to read through the second time while he was watching it. He just read a book. Oh yeah. My. Yeah. No, I couldn't. I, he said, I he got said, about half an hour into it and just I couldn't and keep he, watching and it. And he said oh. he didn't miss anything because it was so slow moving. Like uh. it didn't it didn't deplete from the experience, but hey. <laughs> There's a lot of Joaquin Phoenix's face well, in that movie. Look, and I didn't but, need that. No, the thing no, the movie the movie's intimate. I mean, it's 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 specifically designed to be intimate. And I mean, we can bring our own personal qualms about Joaquin Phoenix's face, mustachioed face, as you pointed out earlier. I, I agree. It's not the very fashionable. It's not the most the beautiful, you know, uh, facial vista to stare across for for an hour and a half. But I mean, I think that one of the reasons this might be strange too is that you know to specifically pick in a group of people to watch a movie, you know, you generally don't want to pick something that's entirely too intimate like this. You know, like because we we also we joked our way through this movie more than we've joked a lot of movies. Some movies we joke and then we kind of hit the serious part and we all tend to shut up a little bit and then we kind of joke. But this movie was consistently MST three K through the way through with it. This was a weird. It was a weird pick. I will I will say, and I'm not like a Spike Jones. Like I said, it it was just a movie that I watched and I found kind of interesting and I wanted to tackle it amongst people and see what everyone else thought cuz it it like I said it's it's not my favorite mo- it's not even my favorite Spike Jones movie for for in that case but well, well I just wanted to mention that yes I think it was funny that everyone like almost literally everyone was joking through this film and then I felt like Almost a pariah because I wasn't joining in with this. I felt almost like ostracized from the group because I was captivated by this film. And for Lou to be reading on his phone and you on your laptop while watching this film, the, se- do... the second time, okay, not the first time. The it was the time. second time for Lou too. Okay, but so did he catch all of the things like the pale fire? Did he catch the phone? Did he? He catch... wouldn't have known how to catch the pale fire. <laughs> oh God! Which you. I, I caught. I caught a Baudrillard similar simulacra in a. Uh, in the Matrix, I'm yes. all excited about. Oh, very cute, very cool. No, I've got, I got, I got a pale fire thing that I want to kind of mention oh, just for a second good, as well. Here, How does pale fire? Yeah. So I think 
joking your way through this is an emotional, a real emotional response to this. Yeah. And oh, I don't want to throw Alberto under the bus, but <laughs> Alberto's eighteen, and he. There were points where it seemed like he needed to say something. Mm-hmm. Because he needed to say something at the time. Like, it right. was just... Yeah, well, like watching, and, and, watching a sex scene well, with your mom. Like, yeah. the repression of emotion, the uncanny, like, sense of the word, like, it's coming back up. It has to bubble up in nervous laughter. Or it has to, because it's too... You intimate. have to break it's the too, tension. Right. But I don't know. I, I wanted to have that full experience for myself, aside from the fact that I just wanted to catch the small things like that. But at the same time, like, the emotional experience of everyone, the real emotion that we're all experiencing, completely different. And yeah. perceptually, um, as what we have to consider what real emotion is and what it means to each subjective individual, like I think that was really clear in the room as well. Well, it was, you, and you could definitely see the age difference because a lot of these people haven't gone through the growing apart in a relationship. Because, <laughs> you know, everyone in the movies, they're probably, what, all in their, like, maybe 40s, like late 30s, early 30s, 40s. Yeah, the dirty 30s. Ish. You know, so these people have all had, like, a little bit more time in relationships than a lot of the people in the room who we're watching mm-hmm. with. You know, I know I've been through my share of bullshit, you know, so I can I can relate to a lot of this stuff where, you know, for someone like you, like the... Int- Don't like, point at me. I have a really... Complicated. Almost, I, have, I have a really weird exotic parallel in yeah, my life to that, this movie. That's true. But I'm just saying in general, like... You know, the younger people in the audience haven't had as much time to go through the experience of relationships falling apart, you know, and that's really what this movie is about. It's about relationships growing apart. Well, and and it's funny, too, because, you know, if you look at some of the the real great, you know, uh, relationship kind of movies, like, I was just wondering how a group of, like, people, like, would, like, how this same group would react to like ordinary people or like Kramer versus Kramer or something. These like, especially from, you know, when Hollywood went, when Hollywood, yeah, exactly. When Hollywood was going for these really hard hitting domestic fucking, what's that? Gritty. Gritty. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, but like unflinching in the way that people are, are expressing themselves and dealing with their emotions. And, you know, to see like Kramer versus Kramer, which is about a divorce, which, you know, once again, we can connect to, to a certain extent, but like, you know, I mean, you've, you've got to, You've got to project out and try to see and, and, and understand how this how these two are seeing it. And I know it's difficult to do that when those emotions are sad or frustrating or uncomfortable to do. I mean, that's when it's the most challenging time to kind of, you know, reach out and try to figure this out. But, you know, it's just something that you've got to kind of be able to, you know, uh, uh, put yourself out there to kind of experience. And while I was able to disassociate and really try to, you know, enjoy the movie on that front as well, it was kind of nice to have a good, you know, a good riffing section because it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun watching this movie. <laughs> and at the same time, I was very much invested and had very positive feelings towards uh, towards Joaquin Phoenix's character and, and how he was and how he was dealing with the situation and the relationship and, and joy that he got out of his relationship with Samantha. I found to be a very positive experience. Uh, I don't... I, Joaquin did a Fabulous job portraying a somewhat bumbling but soft-hearted guy. I needed. Why is that boring? What? Because it's more than thirty minutes of that. Okay. That's that's too much. Too much of a good thing. There's nothing else going on in the movie. I don't know. I mean, Ryan. And you even talked about how this is like me a future past film, right? Uh, it's a. This film set, set in the future, the distant that is future of 2011. <laughs> is yeah. this not a story then about the ways we create our self identity and having to remember the, the the future through our past and telling that story? And so, for you tuning out and saying that 
30 minutes would have been okay. Like, isn't that kind of just erasing this whole idea of self-identity and self-creation through our own, like, relationships? No, it's me condemning the quality of this movie. Okay. (laughs) I think there's plenty of space for that, but this movie does not do a great job of it. Okay. And with that... This is an indictment. (laughs) Mine is an indictment of the movie, not the idea. Okay. And I picked it mostly for the ideas, not as much for the, the movie no, I think it's as it. I say, hate but the I did player, enjoy not the it. game. Well, no, I, I think, think that, yeah. that's like part of the materiality, though. Like it exists in a virtual realm. So if you don't have that materiality to show that, and you are indicting that materiality of the the film itself, then how does the idea exist? How does it create a realm to express those ideas and articulate those ideas that you could just have in your own virtual realm that you could, as Sam, have, but not be able to express them otherwise? Should have been podcast. This movie should have been a podcast. That was what it was. Well, that's what we discussed <laughs> earlier is that this, this topic's it been almost tackled is a better in some <laughs> other mediums, but not as well in the film arena. What? David, what's I the... thought you had something yeah, profound to say. No, 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 no. I was... Are you suggesting that this movie does represent those things ideally? I think that it is one node in a conversation of articulating these ideas in its material form. I think it's a very weak node. It's still a node. So? So for um, Twombly to be a bumbling, feeble dude, like, it's still a very weak representation of who he is internally, perhaps, but you're still... No, Twombly's fine. Okay. The problem's Samantha. Okay. Capitalism, that, please? Samantha is a poor representation of an overly analytical woman who doesn't have a body. That could have been done much, much better, and the movie would have been served for it. Okay. I I think she is very emotional, not overly analytical. Perhaps that's where the conflation of the two and the convergence and, like, the divergence lies, and that's why there's a problem there. Okay, so why don't I like this movie? I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. Well, I told you why I don't like the movie, and you're rejecting the premise. <laughs> I just want—I just want more. On that's that. too bad. <laughs> That's—that is what you're going to get. I mean, that—that that essentially sums it up. Okay, so that should have been thirty minutes instead of an hour and a half or two hours. This what this movie had was thirty minutes worth of movie. Okay. There was not enough extra to talk about. There wasn't a movie's length worth of stuff going on. It is it is rather slow burn. I know that uh, Dylan the entire time was waiting for the AI to just go postal oh. and and destroy the whole world, and it never happened for him. No, I want not, I she's not to, the villain. No, 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 no. I just I just I was really I think what he was going for. I was really hoping that at one point, and this could have happened at the very end, was that she would go, she would just be talking, and then go <laughs> like dial up noises. I thought that would have been good, but. I know that's not the movie they were making, but it would have been really funny. So, David. Especially since that's basically what happens to her at the end of the movie. Yeah, she goes post-verbal. Yeah. So, she goes post-sonic, if you will. Anyway, um, we got another movie night coming up. We do. You got any contention or any ideas for the movie? Mandy, do you think I can answer that question any better? No, but that's, I think, part of what the film is doing, and that's the, the material aspect of this film is what I'm trying to expressed to you like you can't articulate more than that to me but in my head i have like an entire virtual realm of things happening and like 
projecting what is this virtual ideas. realm you're talking about like my my internal thought processes and my emotional processes inside of my body that i'm not articulating externally that you have you call that, that a virtual has. realm yes <laughs> that's a horrible word for that what, there's what nothing virtual about that that's called visceral Okay, but it's still a virtual realm. I'm not able to articulate these things to you. And in projecting that externally through the avatar of language, like, that's the only way that we can communicate. And this is the way that these, this film and its materiality is able to communicate these ideas. That's a really bad use of the word virtual. Okay. I reject your premise. All right. That's the phenomenological premise. But we okay. can't win them all. I reject your reality and substitute my own. <laughs> I mean, I didn't substitute it. I just reasserted it. It's oh, not. Oh, for fucks! Get quit being so virtually technical with me on this matter, man. He's <laughs> so subliminated. When are we it. gonna get past semant? What post semantical or something? Semantical. There is only semantics. <laughs> it's prolix, man. We lost right. in it. Only semantics. So, so yes. To get back to your, your movie question. time. Movie in a couple weeks. Time. Any 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 contentions? Is this is this? No, the... I know what we're gonna watch. Oh, good. Oh, do ya? In the interest of. Expanding the purview of movie night. We're going to ride a roller coaster. In an awkward... <laughs> well, no, no, that's actually... A v- We're going to Busch Gardens. <laughs> I, I have plans that go beyond what I'm about to refer to. But we are going to watch the Kenneth Branagh rendition of Hamlet. Oh, that's like four hours. Yes, it is. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Because it's the real Hamlet. It's and not- I've only seen... I've never. Oh shit! I've never seen it. That means I gotta watch that shit twice. Oh and that's, yeah. And that's gonna do it for the actual garbage <laughs> podcast. Consumption log, be move up. Ryan, Nicole, Mandy. I thanks will. everybody for being here <laughs> and communicating pre-post verbally about uh, about oh, the shit. issues that uh, the subtleties of relationships. About the hipster bullshit drawings in this movie. Oh. <laughs> All over that damn office. I have a Homestar thing I need to show you guys. Anyway, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, Tune in next time, hopefully after you've done uh, your Shakespearean homework. Don't worry, it's great. You can watch this one with a laptop because you will be so riveted that (laughs) it it won't be a problem. You'll just have to take my word for it on that. And I'm sorry if that actually turns out not to be the case. But uh, I really like it. Uh, This is David Paddock. Thanks for joining us. Siri, do you love me? Let's just say you have my utmost admiration. Siri, do you love me? Awkward. Siri, do you love me? Does Apple make iPhones? Siri, do you love me? Let me get back to you on that. Siri, do you love me? Look, a puppy. Siri, do you love me? How can I tell? Siri, do you love me? I'm not allowed to. Siri, do you love me? Well, you're definitely starting to grow on me. Siri, do you love me? Would you like me to search the web for love? Just kidding. <laughs>